podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Darker Days Podcast. I am your host, Vince, along with my host, co-host, and host that needs no introduction, Mark. Mark, how's it going tonight? I'm doing great, Vince. Enjoying this hot August weather. Welcome to Episode 7, everybody. That's right. This is Episode 7 and recorded on, well, we're not going to tell you because it doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, so we're going to have a really fun and chock full chunky goodness show tonight for everybody out there uh we have a lot of things to go over hope everybody enjoyed our last podcast with our special guest host uh who's our special guest host again mark uh matt mcfarland developer freelancer and designer extraordinaire that was a great show great interview so if you're listening in uh thanks matt uh really enjoyed it good stuff bo okay well, well let's get on to the mailbag uh i'm sure we have quite a bit of emails this week Mark? Well, there's one in particular I wanted to uh, to, to call out. Uh, Dominic wrote in with some kind words of support for the show. Uh, he likes our regular format, uh, the fact we have a, a you know a regular recurring set of features, uh, which you know helps listeners know what you're going to get from the show, and also likes the way we stay on topic. Uh, we get that a lot, so thank you very much. Uh, much appreciated. Yes, I always like to uh, harp on staying on topic, and I like to kick Mark and say, topic, 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 and he always goes, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yes, Prince. Yep. <laughs> um, Dominic also had an interesting question, um, which I'm going to pitch out to our listeners in general. Uh, he's running World of Darkness, um, where the character is currently all mortals, uh, but when their templates come around, when they get uh, transformed into supernatural entities, his players have all expressed an interest on playing as different entities. So one wants to be a werewolf, another a hunter, another a vampire. Uh, and he's a bit stuck for inspiration. Uh, and would like some suggestions on integrating these different types of supernatural beings uh, into a cohesive uh, uh, party, cabal, coterie, mm. motley, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> now, uh, we'll get to that in a future show on our Storyteller Advice section. We, you know, we'll cover that kind of thing ourselves. Uh, but in the meantime, if any of our listeners would like to chime in with their thoughts or suggestions on this, uh, go ahead and post away at our forums and uh, let us know how you've handled this in your games. Um, and you can find those forums via the link at uh, darkerdays.tk. Our little forum link is down on the right-hand side. So uh, click away and, uh, and share your thoughts. Yes, we love your thoughts. Yes, thoughts. I <laughs> uh, also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Smooth Culps. Sorry, Smooth Clubs. <laughs> I'm not sure what that one is. I, I have no idea how to pronounce that, I have to admit. But it's an interesting name all the same. Uh, Alakoff, Vim40, uh, Bufupt, and Smiling Jack, who are our newest members at the forums. Uh, welcome aboard, guys. Uh, good to have you along for the ride. Yep. Just come on to those forums and keep signing up and posting away. Uh, like I said in the last episode, we do have someone working on a project, a fan project, to hopefully uh, get it off the ground. Maybe when they get further into the show, they'll uh, hand it into White Wolf and never know what happens. I mean, may want to get in on that groundwork project. Go talk to Warlock2000 on the forums. He's heading up that project. 
yeah, it looks really cool. Very cool indeed. Thank and you. if you want to drop us uh, a line direct, you can reach us by email at uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. That's correct. You can ask any questions, and Mark will be happy to answer them at any time of night or day because he has nothing else to do right now. That's quite right. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, uh, just sitting back in the hot August sunshine. That's all I'm doing. Just a clarification on that. Uh, that was uh, Warlock 2000 was working on Angel the Exile, he's calling it. Oh, he's, he's got a subname for it now. Cool. I believe so, yes. Okay. Is that all we have in the mailbag this week? That'll wrap up the mail call for this week. Yes, indeed. All right. Let's uh, look into some White Wolf news today. It looks like they have The City in the Sand, a new live-action adventure available for the drive through RPG. I think this is the uh, first one that White Wolf, has put, White Wolf has put out in, what, 14 years? 14 years, yeah, their first live-action uh, role-playing adventure. Um, yeah, City in the Sand looks really interesting. It's for Vampire the Requiem, uh, of course, using the Mind's Eye Theater rules. Mm. Uh, and it's based around the discovery of uh, Cecil B. DeMille's set for The Ten Commandments, that old uh, epic movie from way, 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 <laughs> way back in the day. Uh, so that sounds really interesting. Right, and uh, also uh, White Wolf has been nominated uh, for a bunch of any awards. You yes. Don't, yeah, if you uh, don't know. Se- seven categories in total. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's nworld.org. If you've never heard of it, I go check it out. They have a lot of good information there about all role-playing games. Actually started out a long time ago, just starting talking about Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition, and it merged with a bunch of other sites, and now it's really big. And they're actually a Gen Con this year, which they'll be presenting the award. Yeah, uh, N World or EN World, I can never figure out which one it is. It's a, a great forum, a uh, really friendly place, run by a great bunch of guys. Um, I hang out there uh, a fair bit when I'm in the mood for some uh, D20 uh, conversation, and you can uh, do worse than uh, than stop by and say hi. Um, so yeah, um, Ennies, uh, White Wolf nominated uh, in the seven categories, including Best Writing, Best Rules, Best Adventure, and Product of the Year. So uh, you'll find a link at uh, EN World, or you can head on over to whitewolf.com and uh, follow the link from there and cast your votes. And the results come out at Gen Con. That's correct. Sadly... There is no darker days under the podcast section, Mark. No, we're the new kids on the block, Vince, and we yeah. have to uh, pay our dues. It's a long, hard road to the top if you want to rock and roll. But I think uh, maybe by this time next year, all our listeners will petition to get us in there and uh, vote us in as number one podcast. Ah, hopeful thinking, right? <laughs> it would be nice. <laughs> I believe that wraps up the White Wolf news, and then let's move on to everybody's favorite segment... The secret frequency. Okay, the secret frequency this week tunes in to uh, find out about John Reznikov, hair collector. Mm. Yeah. Um, John Reznikov, uh, he's an esteemed collector of various objects of interest. Uh, he has a multi-million dollar stamp uh, trading business. Um, he owns a copy of the Declaration of Independence. He owns Ernest Hemingway's briefcase typewriter, amongst other things. Um, but of interest to us is his collection of hair, uh, specifically the hair of celebrities. Now, we're not talking about Britney Spears uh, or just Michael Jackson here, although he does have some of Michael Jackson's hair. Uh, we're really talking about <laughs> folks like George Washington, uh, John F. Kennedy, Napoleon, Beethoven, Chopin. And Mark? Uh, I'm not dead yet. Oh, oh I'm sorry. 
I'm getting better. <laughs> he even has a even has a strand of hair from Abraham Lincoln, uh, taken from the 16th president on his uh, deathbed or his dying moments, so which set Mr. Reznikov back uh, a cool five hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And apparently, if you look closely at the piece of hair, you can see little bits and pieces of debris, like uh, egg bits from a frying pan, which uh, John claims are pieces of brain matter. Hmm. Now, freakish uh, hair collection sounds. Uh, hair collecting used to be all the rage back in Victorian times. Uh, it was considered as something of a gentleman's hobby. Rather than ask for someone's autograph back in the day, the discerning gentleman would ask for a lock of a celebrity's hair. And more than just an autograph, it was seen as a sign of affection for the person concerned. Now, as hair collecting has endured to the modern day, it brings with it the air of august creepiness that surrounds any celebrity chasing pastime, not to mention its own peculiar set of boundary issue controversies. And uh, Mr. Reznikov is not the only one. There are thousands of small-time collectors who do this, looking to snag snippets of Marilyn Monroe's curls, which are pretty rare, uh, Catherine Hepburn's tresses, which are rarer still, and uh, the locks of the fabled king of them all, Elvis Presley, which are some of the rarest around. Um, as an example, one collector paid $119,500 for a tuft of hair from Che Guevara. Babe Ruth's hair sold for $38,000, and John Lennon's fetched forty-eight grand. Wow. And um, you know, beyond of interest to collectors, uh, investigators can use DNA taken from strands of hair to investigate the lives of celebrities, past and present. So, you know, if you want to know whether Lincoln had syphilis or if Beethoven was addicted to coke and hookers, uh, you can do tests on the guy's hair and find out. Hmm. Anyway, returning to Reznikov, um, some other prizes in his collection, well, they include Elvis's hair, uh-huh. uh, t- taken off to get home. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. <laughs> After getting his famous GI haircut, um, some from King Charles I, before he lost his head alongside a few strands of hair taken from his tomb after he was beheaded. Uh, John Wilkes Booth, John Dillinger, uh, Ava Brown, Edgar Allan Poe, Albert Einstein. Anyway, you get the picture. Um, celebrity tresses gathered from uh, across the centuries. Mm. So for games, then, how do we use this? Well, an obvious answer is if you just want to creep the hell out of your players, uh, make an NPC a hair collector. Uh, it was a very famous X-File episode, uh, based around this with a serial killer who went around collecting people's hair. Uh, I think Scully got cropped at one point. Mm-hmm. Maybe the guy wants the hair of a, one of the characters for purely innocent purposes. You know, he's trying to collect the hair of all manner of folks. Uh, if you have a character who, I don't know, who's a journalist or who works in a, uh, a particular engineering firm, maybe he just wants to get all the hair of local engineers or get a lock of hair from every local journalist. It's a little bit strange, but uh, nothing necessarily sinister. Um, but then if that hair were to get into the wrong hands, there are more sinister motivations that you can apply here. Hair is a well-known focus for occult practices, so a character whose hair has been taken, they might find themselves the target of all kinds of voodoo-related problems. Um, hair might be used to determine whether a celebrity was a supernatural being of any kind, or had contact with supernatural beings. And uh, if you play in the old world of darkness, uh, a running joke is that uh, every celebrity in history was a member of some vampire clan or werewolf tribe or mage tradition at some point. So you could uh, have a bit of a riff on that if you were so inclined. Now, these were pretty run-of-the-mill concepts, though, uh, so let's, uh, let's dial up the strangeness a little bit. Uh, what about cloning? 
if you could extract DNA from hair or from the hair root, what might you do with it? Would you want to clone people uh, like Ava Brown or John Wilkes Booth or uh, even uh, John Dillinger? Could you use someone's hair to contact their ghost? Uh, if you're a powerful enough sorcerer, could you use it to raise the dead? And speaking of sorcerers, in Mage, the astral realms are home to global concepts that are shared by all the people in the world. So the concept of government, the uh, ideal of democracy, uh, the color blue. These all exist as spiritual concepts within the astral. Uh, and one of the features, which is actually really nicely described in the mage book, Astral Realms, one of the features of the astral is you can go there uh, and interfere with these concepts. You can manipulate them. So what if you could use someone's hair as a focus for casting a spell that would alter the way that people think about them? You know, manipulating their beliefs about that person on a global scale. What if you could change the way that everybody in the world felt and thought about JFK? Make the entire world forget he ever existed. That impact upon world politics. Or make people think that Albert Einstein was a raving lunatic. What effect would that have on modern physics? What if you could extract hair fibers from the Shroud of Turin? Do with those. So next time you're at the uh, hairdressers, take a look around at all the hair that's lying about the place and ask yourself, what would John Resnikoff do? So, we bring the secret frequency to a close there for the week. Uh, hair today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. End it with uh, a joke, huh? <laughs> I've been writing that all week. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, Mark. <laughs> now, um, for future uh, secret frequency segments, um, I thought it would be interesting, uh, and this is actually based on a, an email from one of our listeners, mm. uh, to open up the frequency and invite our listeners to send in their local folklore. Um, one of our listeners uh, sent a really interesting mail just detailing snippets of local legends that surround his uh, hometown out in Ireland. Uh, and I, reading through those, I thought, you know, these would make a fantastic bit of subject matter for the show. So, for everybody out there, uh, if you have any local spooky stories doing the rounds in your neighborhood, uh, local legends that have uh, uh, been told and retold uh, in your part of the world down throughout the centuries, um, send them in. Or send me a link to where I can find them online. And uh, we'll do a little show dedicated to uh, your particular neck of the spooky woods. Or uh, actually we'll post up something in the forums too so everybody can share their stories with other people. Even better idea. Yeah, good stuff. Okay. Uh, that in the secret uh, frequency this week? It does indeed. We're keeping it a little shorter than normal this week because we have uh, so much hefty stuff to uh, get through in the show. Um, and uh, that will do us for the time being, I think, Vince. Yeah, that'll do us, and we'll see you next week, folks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to play off on your joke there, Mark. <laughs> All right, we're going to go into uh, the Old World of Darkness feature. Uh, so we had some listeners ask us about Demon the Fallen. Mark, have you ever played Demon the Fallen? I haven't played it. I've used demons as antagonists in a number of games, um, most recently in a modern mage game mm. uh, where I was riffing off uh, the Polanski movie Ninth Gate. Huh. Um, there's there's nice. a demonic character in there who's actually very, very uh, compelling, so I used that. Um, but as, as a full-on game, no, although it's one that I've very much wanted to run. Yeah, it's You've got more experience with it, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I have a little experience. We did I, in a group I played with a couple years ago when a, when uh, Demon first came out. My group was 
really into it that says a lot about my group but (laughs) (laughs) uh it's really a fun game it's very twisted basically the players uh, assume the role of a fallen angel someone that defied defiled or defied the creator and was sent to the abyss uh and over the millennium they've been twisted and tormented and you know tortured as much as they could now each character is basically going to take upon uh, the role of one of the fallen that's escaped from hell or escaped from the abyss, I should say. And there so they're, is, they're, they're out of the abyss now, right? Due to the, uh, the the supernatural's war, pretty much as they call it. I think it's called the Maelstrom. Okay, right, right, right. In the world of darkness, uh, they, sometimes it's referred to as the Greater War, war in Hell. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a couple different names for it, but uh, the characters would. Uh, pick a house and a faction. There are seven different houses. Uh, they're very similar to Vampire the Masquerade in their groupings, how they have different uh, clans. Uh, there's the seven houses. I'll just go over them real quick, and then I'll go in a little more detail. The Defilers, the Devils, the Devourers, the Fiends, the Malefactors, the Scourges, and the Slayers. Now, the Defilers, now, I may be pronouncing this wrong, so excuse me, the Lamassu. Hmm. Are originally the angels of the deep. They're the fifth house, giving them power over water, emotions, and their own forms. What do you think about that, Mark? Uh, right. So, so these are uh, uh, shape changes in a certain way. Right, with the uh, ability to uh, use water how they want to, pretty much throw water around, create it, things like that. And the devils, the Namaru, or the Namaru, depending on how you want to pronounce it. The, this is the first house that was created by God, pretty much. Uh, they have an affinity for radiance, enabling them to command the command mortal and the fallen alike, granting them powers over fire. I had a lot of fun with this house. <laughs> cool. So, I mean, does does Lucifer feature in it? Lucifer sounds like he's a, a made for the Namaru house. Uh, I would I would categorize him in here. Some people probably don't, but I would. Mm-hmm. Now, the devourers are the Rabusu, Rabisu, remember? Angels of the wind, warriors without equal. This is the sixth house that command the animals and the plants, as well as shaping the flesh of other beings as they desire. Check cool. that out. And the fiends, the Nibiru, angels of the spheres, master of the portals to travel great distances. This is the fourth house. How does that sound? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see uh, in these uh, uh, correlations with the various other supernatural types in the world of darkness. And one of the things I remember from when uh, Deeming came out was uh, there was a lot of talk made about how this house was responsible for the werewolves and this house was secretly responsible for uh, giving avatars to mages and stuff. So it's kind of cool to see those cropping up here in the uh, in the main houses themselves. That's definitely true. I didn't even think about that, Mark. Good point. Well, thank you very much, Vince. <laughs> the Malfactors, or the Anonuke, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, is the third house. The Shapers of Creation, the power to shape the Earth and make astonishing artifacts by empowering them. That would be an interesting house. I never did get into that house, but it is an interesting house to uh, read through and see how they their powers work. Well, that's got a really interesting correlation with the Mage game, because mm-hmm. in Mage there's an order of beings called the Anunnaku, who are uh, a, a sort of 
creator gods uh, who are responsible for shepherding avatars into mages' bodies. And so using Anunnaki, Anunnaku, it's, it's interesting to see the, the correlations there. I think they're originally based on, uh, on categories of, of gods from Sumerian myths, uh, which is quite cool because, you know, the first impression that you get from demon is that it's taking a very Judeo-Christian uh, line on things. But then you just look at the names of the houses here, Lamasun, Namaru, Anunnaki. Uh, they're, they're always going back to Mesopotamia there for some of their inspiration, which is a nice touch. Yeah, they did a lot of research when they did this book. I know some people don't like demon. Well, the best thing I can say is just it's a game, and uh, if you don't like it, don't play it. Totally, yes. Anyway, back on topic. The Scourges, the Arashu, or Arashu, how do you want to pronounce Asha, it? Asharu? Asharu, yeah. It all depends on how you look at it. They were the ones who created, who the ones who guided the winds of curation, who granted the breath of life to all living things, who defined the spiritual connection between living beings. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, well, yeah, this looks to me like... Uh, uh, those who are involved in the, in the creation of mortals, uh, mm -hmm. giving the breath of life to living things. Uh, there's an interesting, um, interesting heretical Christian text uh, that talks about uh, uh, fallen angels being involved in the creation of Adam and Eve and then fighting each other um, over Adam and Eve's right to be in the garden. Right. So I guess you could, you'd use the Asharu to, uh, to, to model those if you wanted to bring that kind of mythological inspiration into your game. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then we have the last one is the Slayers, or the Haluku. The Slayers have dominion over the endings and death. They destroy the things of the physical world, commanding the spirits of the dead, and even entering the under underworld. Hmm. Well, that's the only one that I know any anything about, because there's a, um, a, there's a big fan of Wraith. Uh, there's a lot of interest shown in the fact that some of the so-called primordial Wraiths uh, were possibly actually slayers, actually slayer demons who found themselves wandering about in the underworld and decided to set up shop there. Uh, so yeah, that's quite cool to see them in their original context here. Right. And then we move on to the factions. There's uh, five factions that you can choose from, uh, kind of like organizations or things like that. Faustians, Cryptics, Luciferians, Raveners, and Reconcilers. The Faustians, uh, their goal is to basically take the humanity out of people, turn them against God, make pacts with people. That's their, their whole job. They feed off that stuff. Now, the cryptics, they, stand, they search for knowledge, and that's what they're looking for. They're just looking for knowledge. They just want to figure things out in life. Uh, they, they really don't want to harm anybody, but if they have to, that's their, that's their whole goal. Now, the Luciferians... That's probably self-explanatory, but I think we can figure that one out. Uh, pretty much that's Lucifer's army. Those are the people that, that would give their souls, lay down their lives for Lucifer. When, there, when there's a second war that's supposedly coming, they're there for Lucifer, ready to jump in and fight for him. What do you think about that, Mark? Well, what I, what I thought was interesting about the Luciferans is the idea that one of their goals is to find, the, the, uh, to find Lucifer. Um, right, right. And I was, I was struck by what little I'd read about Demon. That, that, that Lucifer as Satan is kind of absent from the picture. So, you know, you take the, the, the most classic demon of all, uh, the, uh, the, the, the king of the devils, and remove him from the show. So straight away, that gives more relevance to, uh, to, to the lesser-ranked demons, and that's a trickle-down effect to the characters, which I thought was quite a good move for the game. Mm. And the Raveners, their, their, whole, their whole idea is just destruction. Destroy everything, leave nothing, I don't care. 
That's what we're here for. No one deserves to live. That's their that's their just their job. That I, sounds like a lot of my D and D characters. That's that's quite cool. <laughs> yeah, kill, take the money, kill. <laughs> the reconcilers are pretty much looking for redemption. They're walking around going, "Oh man, I can't believe I did this. I wish I wish the creator would or God would forgive me." That that's their whole purpose. And that wraps up the factions in house. Uh, Mark, do you have any comments about these? Well, um, what's what struck me the most about this is, you know, previously with a lot of the Old World of Darkness games, you've got <clears throat> your vampire uh, clan, your werewolf tribe, your mage tradition, um, the kith for, for the changelings, etc. Um, now, in New World of Darkness, you'll have, uh, that'll be broken up into two groups, you know, so you might have uh, your vampire's clan, but also you'll have the covenant to which he belongs. So, you know, his bloodline on the one hand and his political affiliations on the other. And it's interesting to see um, a precursor of that here in the demon game with the houses on the one hand, which is, you know, your, your uh, infernal heritage. And then on the other hand, the faction, which is your, your you know, as it were, um, your political outlook, your, your way of living as opposed to uh, your, your demonic blood. So it almost gives the impression that they were already moving toward the... Uh, the, the, the split in um, in the splats there. <laughs> Excuse the, uh, <laughs> the, the pun. The split in the splats? Yeah. <laughs> I can see that one coming. Well, uh, demons work a little different than every other one. Uh, they, instead of, you know how they, they have humanity and vampire, the masquerade, mm. they use torment instead. And it has two different ratings, uh, a, a permanent one and a temporary one. The temporary one fluctuating throughout the game depending on uh, what you do. Uh, it re- re- basically, the temporary one uh, will raise depending on the good deeds you do or the bad deeds you do. Mm-hmm. And every time you hit 10 on the temporary scale, that adds one more to your torment. And the higher your torment goes, the higher um, you're, you're closer to becoming uh, what they call as an NPC. Or you're so tormented that you're so evil that you can no longer be a player anymore. You be- you become more demonic the higher the torment is. The higher, yeah, and when you when you have higher torment, you can no longer uh, as your torment goes up. I should say you can no longer do certain things like you know go into holy ground, disguise yourself, and even animals start to fear you and run away from you at that point. So, so it affects the way you appear as well. I mean, I remember reading something uh, an apocalyptic form. Has that got something to do with torment? Yeah, they're they're are apocalyptic form. Excuse me, that was a tongue twister for a second there. <laughs> it can either be angelic or demonic, like really monstrous, demonic. And the more tormented you get, the more twisted and disgusting your apocalyptic form becomes. And mm. the whole goal is you're not really supposed to show that form to humans, but you know sometimes right. you can. And when you do do that you usually get something called faith. That's another thing in the game. You know how vampires use uh, blood to feed off of and use? Yeah. Well, they use faith. And what they can do is to get faith, it's also on a scale that's uh, temporary and permanent. And what they want to do is pretty much they want to take as much faith as they can to power up their lore, which is their magic. That, you know, that determines if they can, you know, take the fire and throw it or create water and flood a whole area. Now, there's a couple ways of doing that. Uh, you can reap, reaping faith by cruelty and tormenting humans indirectly by torturing them. Right. Which is uh, fun in itself. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also donating faith. Like, you can you can walk around and, uh, you know, play that uh, 
you know, devil role by making packs with people, promising them things, and having them willingly sign their soul over to you. Oh, I see. And then um, you can also rip faith from people, too. I mean, you can, in times of need and emergencies, you, you know how you pump your blood and uh, you pump yeah. your stats in Vampire? You can ravage the faith and pump some things up, too. But it can only be done in extreme emergencies because it really tortures and hurts the humans. And it could kill them by taking more from their soul as they uh, move on. So you can drain someone dry, as it were. Oh, yeah. Just and that, that that gains you torment. So if if you if you were to suck someone's faith completely out of them, you would you would receive faith, but would your torment go up uh, as well? Yes, it would, because that would be considered an evil act. Yeah. Every just evil a bit. act you do uh, would would give you a tick on that torment. And by the time you get so far up on the torment, you could you can't revert. It's hard to very hard to reverse it. Like some of the good acts, say like helping an old lady across the street, was considered a good act. I know it's a bad example, but we'll just use uh. that for now. Remember how we remember in the beginning that would be like, oh, that's a good deed, that's wonderful. Remind, you know, erases one off. Now you have to do three for the one. Right. So that's a little bit like the humanity scale with vampire, where the further along the scale you progress, certain things now become relevant to you that weren't relevant before. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that sounds good. Any uh, f- closing comments on demon, Mark? Well, the th- apart from uh, using a minor demon as an NPC in a game, the the the, uh, the thing that interested me the most about the line is the Earthbound. Mm. Um, now, what little I know of the Earthbound is that these are demons, immense, powerful dukes of hell type demons, yeah. who uh, were never actually consigned to the abyss in the first place, or who who managed to slip out at some point uh, over time. They were here first, the- yeah. Sorry, carry on? Uh, they, I, they were here first, is what I was saying. Right, Sorry okay. Um, and so they're kind of lying, hidden and lost somewhere out in the wilds of the world, these I- immense things embedded in the fabric of reality with cults and re- religions and uh, uh, worship growing up around them. Uh, I, I thought that was just a fantastic concept. And that, that crops up all over the, uh, the world of darkness. And it goes way back even before Demon was a, was a full-fledged game line. And then they took some of these, these sleeping entities and, and later wound them back into the, uh, to the demon mythology. Um, the uh, clan book uh, Bali is a great example of this for the Dark Ages game, where they had a group of people, uh, an early tribe, that uncovered one of these creatures and started to worship it. Um, and the abuses that uh, this created eventually led to the rise of the, uh, of the, of the Bali clan. Um, another one is in the Transylvania Chronicles, where it's sometimes suggested that uh, Kupala, uh, the, 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 the ancient land spirit that watches over the uh, Tsimishe clan, might be uh, an earthbound, um, long since forgotten its heritage. And I just thought that was a very, very cool idea, uh, you know, that the demon game made excellent use of. I really did enjoy the demon game when we played it. We had lots of fun, and fun, fun stories. I had a really good storyteller, which I'm really sad that he's gone. He actually was part of the Coast Guard, and uh, when he graduated the Coast Guard Academy here, he picked his assignment in Alaska. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, dude, Alaska? He's like, yeah, I want to try something new. I'm yeah, like, well, it's oh. a good place to go for it. Yeah, but we lost our storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> He ran some really good adventures, and I, I had a lot of fun. I was playing pretty much a, a what was it, a Faustian, uh, a devil. Okay. And I was throwing around fire and tormenting people and trying to make I kept failing at the packs, though. 
Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he was really good at convincing, getting me out of the situation. But it was fun trying. I mean, it was a great game overall. So what what uh, films or uh, TV shows or books would you recommend a storyteller look at for inspiration in the Demon Game? I mean, the one thing that springs to mind to me, uh, to do with Fallen Angels, of course, is the classic uh, The Prophecy uh, movies with Christopher Walken. Um, uh, are those the kinds of things that, uh, that w- would feature in a demon game, or is it really much more infernal than that? I think it's a little more infernal than that, though. Yeah. Um, I can't think. I can't think of a movie offhand that would probably fit this particular book. Other okay. Than what you said. Ninth Gate was one that that, that stuck Ninth out Gate? for me. Ninth Gate. Oh, with uh, Johnny mm-hmm. Depp. That's right. Yeah. 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 I think that one might work. Uh, for some reason, the Omen keeps coming to mind, but I don't think that really will fit too well. Could. Well, what I like about the Omen is is the the demons and uh, the the dark forces in the Omen are hidden. Yeah. You know, the, you know, you know they're there. They're there, present in every scene, but you never see them, uh, which I thought is a fantastic piece of uh, storytelling. So that might work for a demon game where the demons are antagonists and the player characters are just mortals, uh, and you have these demons running around pulling all the strings and having cults built up around them, but that you never see them on screen. Then you know they're never on camera, as it were. Of course, we're talking about the original, not the remake. I haven't seen it. You know, and I, I can't say I'm sad. I would stay, just stay away from it. <laughs> okay, well, that will wrap up Demon. If you have any questions, you just give us a holler in the forums or email Mark. Mark, what's that email once again? Darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, any thoughts or suggestions or actual play experiences you've had with Demon, uh, go ahead and send them our way. And we have, definitely have room on the forums to start up uh, some games, which some people have been chatting about. So you can go to darkerdays.tk and click on that little link in the right-hand corner, like Mark said, and Join us for the fun in the forums. Mm-hmm. And now, on to the new world of darkness, or the current world of darkness, which Mark has a special segment for everybody. Mark, what are we doing this week? Uh, this week, we're going to look uh, at a review. Um, we were going to take a couple of reviews, but um, we're just going to focus on the one just now and give it a real bit of uh, close-up attention. And uh, We're going to take a look at the book Second Sight. Now, it's for the core New World of Darkness line, um, so it doesn't necessarily belong to Vampire or Werewolf or uh, Mage. And it's a book for dealing with ordinary people exposed to the unknown. Psychics, mystics, mediums, seers, that kind of thing. Uh, It details paranormal powers and low magic. Now, uh, players from the uh, old World of Darkness will recognize this as the kind of thing that used to be called hedge magic or static magic, and it was covered across a slew of books, most notably in the, uh, the two editions of Sorcerer. Uh, New World of Darkness makes the smart move of keeping it all in one place, which is greatly appreciated. <laughs> now, it starts off, as most uh, World of Darkness books do, with eight pages of opening fiction. Oh my god, I'm sure it's wonderfully written, but this kind of thing just sends me to sleep immediately. Uh, I know that's just a personal opinion, and I know there's a lot of people who enjoy the fiction, but uh, it really just doesn't do it for me. Well, so I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to you know, hold my hand up and say that's, that's probably a failing on my part, but there you go. Well, Mark, I have to say that Dark Ages did open up with a whole bunch of pages of, of a story as well, and that was entertaining, so... Yeah, it was. I didn't really read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. You should read it. I'm just like, flip, flip, flip. Where's the rules? Give me the characters. <laughs> Go ahead. Anyway, uh, back to Second Sight. The uh, the introductory section um, 
is, is good. It details where these um, low-key supernatural powers fit into the world of darkness. Um, the writing is kind of overdone. It's a little bit overwrought, uh, which to me always makes it seem like the author is trying too hard to be creepy. Uh, but, you, you know, that's one of the uh, the characteristics of World of Darkness source books, I suppose. Some are better, some are worse. That's something, Mark, I've noticed about the new World of Darkness stuff, is they seem like the, the, the products are quality products, and it seems like they're going a little bit overboard on some of the stuff just to try to get their words, you know, expressed to what they're trying to say, but I think some of the things they're going a little too far on. Well, uh, yeah, I had the, I had this feeling with the opening chapter of Inferno, which we reviewed a couple of shows back, mm. uh, and this isn't as uh, as overdone as that, and it's certainly not o- as overdone as, say, Destiny's Price from the Old World of Darkness, which we also looked at a couple of shows ago. That was uh, just silly in places. <laughs> um, but, you know, fair enough. It's, it's, it's an impression that it gave me. That said, the details here are good. Uh, the, the material itself, uh, never mind the message, the actual, uh, never mind the medium, sorry, the material of the message is good. Um, it makes it clear that we're dealing with low key stuff. You know, there are no leagues of extraordinary psychokinetics out there. We're talking about individuals with singular powers. Uh, and it gives us plenty of examples from film and TV and books uh, as to where you could look to see representations of this kind of power. Things like uh, Medium, things like the Supernatural Show, uh, things like um, Stephen King's books, Firestarter and Carrie. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Just a random individual who's had something come into their life, a, a single power or one or two powers that has changed them completely. And it refers to these as lesser templates. Um, now, a main template, of course, would be something like Vampire or Mage or Werewolf. Uh, these are lesser templates. It gives us rules for stacking lesser templates, one on top of the other, um, and also uh, tells you what happens when a character with a lesser template gets a major template. Uh, basically, he loses the lesser one. Now, to my mind, there's no real need for this. Um, it could be kind of interesting to have a vampire who still possesses some of his psychokinetic abilities, uh, but the designers, they probably want to avoid crazy power-mongering. I'd prefer to leave this, to, I'd prefer to see this left in the hand of the storyteller rather than, uh, than banned outright. Uh, but that said, there are some cool suggestions for recovering experience points spent on psychic powers, uh, so it's not a total loss in that regard. Um, next, we get into greater detail on working this material into your game. Now, this section is excellent. It's very well thought out, uh, a solid look at different levels of awareness on the part of the public. Um, with all the ramifications and the consequences well developed. Uh, it gives you options to choose from, you know, do regular people, when they see this, do they believe it? Uh, do they dismiss it out of hand? What would it be like if a certain percentage of the so-called psychics and mediums and conjurers out there were really doing the real thing? How would that affect people's beliefs? And it, you know, it, it details what effect this would have on your chronicle. Uh, Simple advice being stuff like, look, if you want to maintain the integrity of a, a World of Darkness Chronicle, don't overdo it. Don't rule that every other occult sh- bookshop owner has three dots in divination or that kind of thing. They don't? Um, I guess that depends on your game, really, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I guess. Okay. <laughs> it's in this section that the sidebars start to show up. Um, these contain uh, little nuggets for the storyteller with optional rules approaches, story hooks. And we've seen these before in New World of Darkness books. And here, as elsewhere, they're top-notch. And some of the best stuff in the book is in the sidebars, in my opinion. Um, so I really like the way they're plonking these little 
uh, nuggets of information throughout the text to really help spice it up. And in many cases, the sidebars are as memorable, if not more memorable, than the material itself. Next, the book moves on to the actual powers itself, uh, the uh, meat of the feast. These are bought as psychic merits, um, so they're not uh, laid out like your spheres or your disciplines or what have you. It's not uh, ranked by dots from one to five, although they are ranked as merits, but it's not like a, there's not like a psychokinesis path or a divination path. They're just a collection of individual merits that you buy up as you, uh, as you see fit. Um, there's a glossary. Uh, unfortunately, 90% of the glossary is made up of the blindingly obvious, um, but with a few decent entries that World of Darkness players might not know about, so morphic resonance and organ energy. Uh, the writer has clearly done their homework there. Um, but a lot of the stuff in the glossary uh, to most World of Darkness players will be, will be pretty obvious. There's uh, a good toolkit section on where these powers might come from. Uh, are they due to a bloodline? Are they due to uh, a radioactive experiment? That kind of thing. Um, it name checks the Tomorrow People, which was a 1970s BBC kids show, which I loved. So this section automatically gets a big thumbs up from me. <laughs> Never heard of it. Uh, no, oh, it's, uh, it's probably pretty awful, actually, in retrospect, but I loved it when I was about four. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a surprisingly well-researched section on the history of psychic powers in the real world, and there's some great nuggets of information here, uh, connecting the work on Orgone Energy with the Manhattan Project, for example, and some stuff on Edgar Cayce that, uh, startlingly enough, manages to avoid mentioning Atlantis. <laughs> and then we're into the merits themselves, and there's 34 pages of them. They're divided into ESP, mediumism, which I think is a really awful word, um, psychokinesis, and telepathy. Uh, now, my feeling is these are rather arbitrary distinctions, uh, but it helps to keep it a little bit manageable by breaking them up into uh, into four little uh, little groups. The powers themselves are well described; they're clear. Uh, the rules, the crunch material, is solid; it's unambiguous. Now, for the most part, they're what you'd expect to find. There's nothing nothing groundbreaking there. They fill the required niche. Uh, you need a book that details low-grade magic, low-grade psychic powers, this is what you expect to find, and this is what you do find. So, you know, it hits the target there. There is some interesting stuff, some unusual, unexpected material. The stuff on automatic writing was, was very cool. Uh, the stuff on plant empathy is very interesting. Now, there is some redundancy, some overlap in the powers, I have to say that. The psychokinesis section is most guilty of this. For example, psychic healing and psychic vampirism are just two sides of the same coin. You either heal or you do damage. And to my mind, that could have been one power and left room for something else. Uh, and making healing and vampirism part of psychokinesis seemed to me to be a pretty odd choice. Uh, cryokinesis, thermokinesis, and pyrokinesis are similarly closely linked variations on the same theme. And I thought they could have been placed on a sliding scale with each other as opposed to breaking them up into different powers. Um, now, you have some of this overlap in telepathy as well, but at least there is a sensible progression of power types. Uh, the section uh, rounds itself out with some very cool ancillary merits that add flavor to the system. Stuff like anti-psi, lucid dreaming, uh, that kind of thing. That's a nice little extra touch, and I thought that really put a nice uh, spark in the tail of the uh, psychic merit section. Now, chapter three uh, details systems of magic and magical belief, whereas the previous section was more about psychic powers. Here we get into 
into magic. Uh, for storytellers who want to include practitioners of low magic into the game as opposed to psychic powers, uh, this is the section that you want. Uh, the book calls them thaumaturges, which is just a general catch-all term to refer to uh, practitioners of magic in the world of darkness. Now, thaumaturges derive their power through real-world belief systems. Uh, if you are a player of mage, you'll know the general idea in there that real-world magical belief systems are more or less mistaken, and there's the, the real truth of a hidden magical lore behind that. Um, now, this approach here, uh, in Second Sight, is similar to what is covered in the Mage the Awakening book, Magical Traditions. And it'll also be very familiar to players of uh, Mage the Ascension, back from classic World of Darkness. Um, there's a brief look at where Thaumaturges fit into the World of Darkness, and then we move straight on to the crunch. Now this overview is a little bit thin when compared to the detail that's given to fitting psychic powers into the game, uh, but that said, magical traditions are a little bit more well known, um, so the writer can be, uh, can be forgiven for, uh, uh, for skimping on it a little bit here. The rules cover uh, thaumaturge rituals, thaumaturgic magic, and give you a um, very solid system for making thaumaturge characters. And then it gives you details on the six magical belief systems uh, that feature in the book, uh, notably Apostle of the Dark One, Ceremonial Magician, a Hedge Witch, Shaman, Taoist Alchemist, and Voodoo. Um, just uh, briefly, uh, they're pretty much what they sound like. Voodoo is a practitioner of voodoo magic. Taoist alchemist deals with the uh, slightly more out there versions of uh, Taoist belief. Uh, the shaman is uh, well, a shaman. Uh, a hedge witch uh, harkens back to the more uh, the, the classical types of, uh, of witches. A uh, little, little bit of tint of druidry here, and all more modern uh, incarnations. And the ceremonial magician is your your classic bell, book, and candle uh, ritual wizard. Um, I suppose a little bit like Alistair Crowley in uh, in approach. Mr. Crowley. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> a great song. Yeah. Uh, an apostle of the Dark One. Uh, well, they're, they're people who ally themselves with the forces of darkness and the stereotypical Satanist type. Um, now, the writers, of course, they take liberties with the real-world belief systems for purposes of gameplay, and so they should. There's no need to slavishly be adhering to uh, the actual truths of uh, shamanism and ceremonial magic if uh, you can tweak it a little bit to make the game more interesting. Uh, the results are mixed. There's mixed success with this. The stuff on Taoism is good, and as is the stuff on ceremonial magic and shamanism. The stuff on hedge witchery less so. And the Apostle of the Dark one is just downright silly, uh, I'm afraid to say. Uh, but it's still all perfectly usable in the game. So if you have a storyteller who's able to put a cool spin on this and uh, not have your Apostle of the Dark one come across as a sort of hand-wringing, cackling servant of evil, then more power to you. There's 20 pages of merits for Thaumaturges, uh, which cover the, uh, the powers at hand here. And as before, you get what you'd expect. Nothing out of the ordinary. Good, solid, workable material. It doesn't generally suffer from the overlap problem that some of the psychic powers do. Um, evocation and invocation probably don't need to be separate powers, but that's about it. And there are a couple of editing issues, but nothing that overly diminishes its use. And there's a really nice little sidebar on having a familiar for your uh, thaumaturge. Chapter 4 is on reality-bending horrors. Now, I'll be honest, I had no idea at all what this is even doing in the book. It's totally out of keeping with the themes of subtle psychic sorcery, low magic, and urban creepiness. Basically, we're dealing with Cthulhu here. Good game. Um, 
alien beings from beyond reality that will melt your brain and give you tentacles all over your face. Uh, good stuff, yeah. Uh, uh, the book makes it clear uh, the stories about these beings should focus on their human cultists, but the scale of these alien creatures concerned is a, is a real breach of theme for the book. Now, that said, the material covered here is totally cool. It's fantastic. On theme or on theme, off topic or on topic, it's just great. Great stuff and loads of fun to use and play. I loved it. I was, just wasn't sure what it was doing in the second sight book. Um, as before, the writing does get a bit carried away. There's some real dense blocks of text going on and on about how awful it is to be an insane cultist of Nyarlathotep. Uh, but the subject matter is useful all the same. And it gives, really gives you the details that you need. There's some very strong sidebars with good examples to flesh out the text. Um, some good treatment on using the supposedly unquantifiable elder gods in play and some very interesting rituals for the cultists to use. Uh, when it comes down to the actual powers that these cultists have, unlike psychic powers and thaumaturgy, this section is hugely imaginative with some really weird stuff packed into the pages. You know, you give yourself tentacles. You can regenerate your wounds by growing fungal blooms in their place. Uh, give someone a run of bad luck, like something out of the first Omen movie. All that kind of thing. Very, very cool. Um, the book ends with an appendix giving a sample story. There's nothing outrageous here, but it's handy to get the psychic ball rolling, so to speak. Uh, to be honest, though, I think the appendix should have been dropped and replaced with an index. Yes, another World of Darkness book with no index. <laughs> Uh, and given the proliferation of merits and powers and other magical funkiness in the book, it's a real oversight. So, bad White Wolf, bad. No cookies for you. No soup for you at all. Very wrong. Very, very wrong. Um, but, you know, no matter how much people uh, bleat and yammer about this, it just seems to be a fact of life. So, yeah. there That's you go. That's White Wolf for you. Yeah. They hate indexes. They, 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 they hate them. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, okay. In overview... Using merits to define powers, psychic powers, thaumaturgy, uh, crazy cultist stuff, it's an inspired move. Uh, I thought this was the strongest element that stood out in the book, uh, that you, you, know, you have merits for these things as opposed to uh, uh, power paths. Uh, it keeps it simple, it keeps it manageable, and because they're a little bit expensive, it prevents runaway power abuse. The material on psychic powers and thaumaturgy is solid, workmanlike, and it gives you what you need without any frills. The section on the Cthulhu cultists, although a bit misplaced, is fantastic fun. Uh, probably the strongest section in the book. So uh, if you want to play a World of Darkness game without the high-powered supernatural beings like mages and vampires, uh, but still with magic, this book is what you need. It's a one-stop shop of the supernatural, and this is its biggest strength. You can get huge amounts of use out of this book, and none of it is complicated. Mage, The Awakening, which covers much of the same territory by comparison, is complicated and arcane. Uh, Second Sight is simple, it's easily understood, and it's easily used. So, so um, well, Go ahead, Mark, I'm sorry. Yeah, just for me, uh, on a good day, 8 out of 10. Yeah. On a bad day, when I'm feeling annoyed about the index, 7. <laughs> so, yeah, there you the go. index drops it down. The lack thereof, the index drops it down by one, I see. Mm. Well, it looks like it's overall it's a good book to pick up if you like you said to use, but that Cthulhu section uh, a little bit weird why that's there, but I guess it's still chock full of chunky bits and goodness for fun. 
that's going to be that that'll be of use to 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 players in any world of darkness game where the storyteller wants to to introduce that side of things um so you know i guess it's not enough to fill an entire book on its own although when we get to doing summoners next week you'll see how uh, there's a really fantastic take on that kind of thing in summoners as well which is even more crazy and imaginative than what they do in second sight um now as i said earlier we were going to do summoners this week um but we're gonna we're gonna Put it on the back burner for another show. I know you can email me and and uh, and slap me around for it because I, I promise to have it this show. But for, for reasons of length, we're going to do it next show. Mark, guess what? What's up? I have a special treat for you today. It's not more scary children, is it? No, no. It's actually user uh, submitted. Uh, it's a bumper. You ready? Oh, oh. Go on then. Hit me. <laughs> Listening to the Darker Days podcast. More fun than being smacked in the head with a wooden board. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I, love I believe that. that Boggin Knight has sent that in uh, via email, and we had to uh, just stick it in the show because it was so great. That's, that's fantastic. Brilliant. And you thank too, you very much. Yes, thank you. Definitely thank you very much. We'll be using that quite often. I, I really like that. Any use any listener out there who wants to submit their own bumpers, please record it and send it right to the email, and Mark will forward it right to me so we can put it right in the show. Yes, indeed, yes. Well, Bog and I have set the standard very high there, so let's see what the rest of you guys can come up with. Yeah, he has set the bar. The bar is very high, and... Uh, People better set. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mark, your Christmas does not stop there. Christmas in August? How lucky can one man be? I don't know. Look what else we got for you. And now it's time for Storyteller Advice with Mark and Vince. <laughs> I feel like I'm in some kind of cheesy 70s porn movie. It's wonderful. <laughs> Hey, you know, just to throw the Sanford and Son music together, and uh, <laughs> why not? But that leads us into our new segment that we will maybe do every show or every other show, depending on how many questions we get. Uh, it'll be an advice section for story, new storytellers and old storytellers alike. Mm. Uh, basically, Mark, when you're writing up a, a can oh, it's just a campaign, wrong game, sorry, writing up a story for your game, you're jotting down ideas. Now, do you actually physically write them down, or are you like on the fly guy? Uh, it varies. I used to be very meticulous, and I, you know, I would I would write down an introductory a passage, and I would stat out NPCs, and uh, I would write them. You know, almost as uh, as you would see in a published product. Um, but as I've gotten older and slower, uh, I don't have the time or inclination to do that anymore. And now I tend to. Uh, if if my prep time goes over 20 minutes, I get bored and annoyed, and I want to go do something else instead. So I've learned by various little methods to to get the game prepped as rapidly as possible and go ahead with as as few extensive notes as possible. And given the way that players are, um, I find that helps to keep keep me flexible when they go running off in the other direction, leaving my plot in tatters behind them. I guess you're getting cranky in your old age. 
I am, I am, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> well, this is an idea that I use, and I know a couple people have used it in the past, uh, but we're going to name it something different. It's called the Story Tome Idea. Basically, mm. it's going to be your notebook. It's going to be your little Bible of the game. And there's going to be a couple uh, points that we're going to write, uh, go over, Mark and myself, and you could write them down or you could change them up, and we're going to just go over them. Now, the first idea would be when you're first, you got your group, you're going to decide what game you're going to run. And the next question you're going to ask yourself when you're picking your game, do you know enough about the rules of that game to run that particular game? That's always a big point to the game. You don't know the rules, there's no point in running the game. I mean, it's just going to annoy your players, and it's going to annoy you as a GM just to keep looking things up all the time. I think what's important is you have to be comfortable with them. You know, you don't need to memorize the rule book. No, no, no GM, no sane GM can do that anyway. Um, you need to you need to be enough confident enough to to go with what you've got and be prepared to make whatever uh, on the fly adjudications uh, as as and when they come up. And equally important, if if you're not you know if you don't feel like you know the rules 100 percent, but you've got a, a ballpark understanding and you're happy enough to run the game, make sure your players are understanding that too. You know, you say to them, "Well, guys, I'm new to this set of rules." Um, Let's just go with it, and if I mess it up, you know, we'll we'll deal with it after the after the uh, the game, or uh, call me on it during the game. But just bear with me, and you'll find that most players are amenable to that kind of thing, and they they prefer you to be open as well about uh, about where you're at. Right. Usually, in your group, they're your friends. They know you pretty well, and if you say to them, "Listen, this is a learning experience for all of us," I'm sure they'll understand. Yeah, that, and that that degree of communication between you and your players, I think, is is the number one thing for a storyteller to to get on board with. Uh, at the end of the day, you're all sharing the play experience, uh, and the more upfront and open you are about all the various issues of the game, um, the the more enjoyable the uh, the play experience will be. Um, now that leads us on to to the second point, which is you, you ask your players um, out of the games that you're interested in, which ones would they like to play. So, you know, you've maybe got a short list that consists of uh, a slasher game or a demon game or a mage game. And, you, you know, you really want to run those. Talk to the players and say, look, guys, out of these three, which ones are you interested in? Um, because if there's no buy-in on their part, uh, the game will run off half-hearted. You'll have people dropping out after a couple of sessions where they think, yeah, I really didn't want to play demon and I don't know how I can tell Bob, so I'm just not going to turn up. <laughs> Then you get those people sorry, that, just, that just show up. Yeah, sorry, Bob. You get those people that just show up and they just kind of sit there like, yeah, whatever, blah. You don't want yeah. that. Now, uh, once you once your players have decided and they're all gung ho about, say, demon or whatever. Why am I using that? I like that because we featured that this week. But yeah, it's the, the <clears throat> game du jour. That's right. You decide next what supplements you're going to use. Like, you want to use Mark's Second Sight? Why not? Mm. Mark yeah. reviewed that for you this week. You can go ahead, grab that book, and be like, hey, I know a lot about this. Mark gave me a lot of chunks of goodness about this in that podcast that I'm going to tell all my friends about and tell them to go listen and download right now. <laughs> Cheap plug, right? <laughs> That's the worst subliminal messaging I've ever heard. Really yeah, <laughs> well, I figured I'd be up front and straight with it. But anyway, <laughs> once you decide your supplements, that's when you start jotting down some notes. Now, what are we going to do after we get our supplements down, Mark? Um... Right. Once you've decided uh, what your your brief, your you know your library for the game is, um, you then want to decide. Look, do I want to use everything in here? Which parts of this am I going to leave out? Uh, you don't need don't need to feel 
the just because you've decided to use the slasher book or the second sight book uh that for example we'll go with second sight as a good example um don't feel that you need to allow players access to every single merit. If you don't want a pyrokineticist in your game running around setting fire to things, say to the players, okay, we're going to use second sight, but pyrokinesis is out. Um, this background we're not using. That special ability I don't want to have. Uh, and a storyteller, the buck stops with you in that regard. Um, everybody at the gaming table has to have fun, but that includes you. That includes the storyteller. You've got to have fun too. Um, and in the final analysis... Uh, if you're not happy running the game, then there's no game. No. So, yeah, decide with your players or on your own which bits are not going to be part of your uh, of your game's uh, canonical setting. And uh, leave them out. Don't use them. Right. And I that mean, can be for a number of reasons. You know, you feel it's overpowering. You think the rule's too complicated. Uh, you think it's stupid. You know, you, as long as you can talk your reasoning through with your players and they can understand you and respect that, then you're good to go. Also, you are the storyteller, and if you say no, it's no. I mean, you have the final word over everything overall, and your players should understand that you're saying, I'm sorry, no. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, is a, it is a cooperative experience, but as a storyteller, you need to get used to calling the, uh, giving the final call, and the players need to accept that you're going to call the final call if it comes down to that. It doesn't have to be an antagonistic thing, but, you know, someone's got to do it, and if you're the one doing it, then uh, your word goes. Right, and then we're going to move on to... Now you're going to start jotting down ideas for the game. Say it's a hunter game. Uh, you're going to ask yourself a few questions and then write some answers out. How are the players connected? You know, are they, do they know each other? Do they not know each other? Do they have to find out who... You know, do you have to do a backstory on individual ones or you want to skip the backstory? Uh, then you're going to decide, is this going to be ongoing or is this going to be a one-shot? Or, you know, is this going to be like five sessions, six sessions, or just, you know, let it go on? Uh, where will the story take place? You also got to find an area that you're familiar with. I wouldn't just say, hmm, I live in Pennsylvania, so I'm going to pick Idaho as my <laughs> st- as where my story is going to take place. I don't know much about the state of Idaho, I mean, other than where it is. I don't know the towns there, so I'm going to have to do some research. Be Pick something you're more familiar with. I've heard people picking their own hometowns just because everybody knows where everything is. It's easy yeah, to say, it. you know, my character runs down the 5th Street and he searches for blah, blah, blah. Also decide what year. That's very important also because it could it be in the present year. Could it be 20 years from now? Could it be 1980 and people running around with headbands on and going, woo You know, all those fun things. Those, pay, those are very important factors in designing your story. And a, a good way to do this, actually, is to have a, a, a session where... You know, you have your own ideas, but a, a good way to address it is a session where you sit down with the players. Uh, you, maybe you want to create the characters during that session. Maybe you just want to address these matters as a group. Um, I found in the last few World of Darkness games that I've run, uh, we sit down and I just say to them, okay, look, I want to have a group of characters who are all connected. Uh, how? How do you guys know each other? And throw the ball in their direction. And, you know, if you've got a decent set of players, they'll pick it up and run with it. So in the last game I had, we had oh, uh, two guys were going to be brothers of an old, decrepit, decadent, noble family in the wilds of rural England that has lost its way. Another guy said, I'm going to be their immortal butler. Um, and the other two said, well, we're going to be members of a shadowy government ministry that have been investigating the family. Bang, straight away. You know, and that was with no involvement from me. So get the players' input uh, in that regard and see what they have to say about it. 
and see whether whether they want to play a one shot or whether they want to play an arc of three sessions or whether they just want to play and play and play and play until the cows come home. Um, Chances uh, like, are. I'm sorry. That's like, like, no, cool. Uh, like Vince says, the location is really important um, because, uh, yeah, it helps for you, for the, the storyteller to be familiar with the, with the setting. Um, and if you are going to set it somewhere a little bit away from home, uh, a few tips there is you could uh, pick up a travel guide, you know, the Lonely Planet guide to Paris, for example, if you're going to set the game in Paris. And uh, some of these, you know, these physical books are really rich in color and detail and maps and uh, information on places to go and things to do. And of course, uh, you know, you've got the internet, which is just a wealth of information than any location you can pretty much think of. Google Earth, that's a good one. Yeah, I was using Google Earth recently in a tour game that I ran. Uh, and was able to zoom in right down to street level on the location of the game and just bring this uh, up for the players. It was uh, uh, an invaluable aid. You know what I find funny about that is that they, they, the car that goes around snapping pictures, so one of the pictures had a guy waving forever in the same spot. <laughs> Every time I looked at it, the guy's still there waving. I'm like, cool, there's that guy. But anyway, <laughs> uh, after you do all that, now you're on your own, you're going to start dry- jotting down some plot ideas. Uh, new page... Mm-hmm. You're gonna like write down like simple sentences as you're going on your day. I mean, say like you're it's Monday and you're not playing till Friday, or you're not playing till next Monday. You got a week to prepare. Just write down some ideas. Like, oh well, going with the hunter idea. My hunters will be going after a killer vampire in the area, or the hunters will investigate a series of killings in the warehouse district. They're gonna work for the police. Their uh, maybe their families were attacked and the zombie apocalypse is upon them. There's so many different things you can do. Just write down your idea in one sentence, close the book, walk away. Yeah. Think about it. And then go, oh, I have an idea. Run back to the book, write it down. Carry the book with you if you want. Put it on your head. I don't know. Put it in your armpit. Wherever you got to do. Yeah. Now, although I don't do massive writing for the actual adventure itself, this is something that I, I do a fair amount, is... Uh, like you say, jot an idea down here and there. Um, and you'll find that, you know, especially if you have a long time before the game is starting, you'll amass a fair amount of notes and you'll start to see connections filter out of their own accord almost. You know, your subconscious will work on it and you'll begin to be able to draw lines of plot between one character's name you put down here, a location there, a story idea there. Um, so yeah, jotting the ideas down as, as they come to you uh, is a great way to get the the story seeds going. And after you do that, uh, I was going to use this as number eight, but I'm going to move it up to number seven. Start jotting down some ideas for this for scenes that you want along with those ideas, like the warehouse district. Maybe you want you know, something to happen. You want like a werewolf to jump out and attack certain players, or maybe it's raining out and it's hard for them to find something and. Uh, there's a, a bum there and he turns out to be a vampire you know things like that jot down scenes just because you jot them down doesn't mean you have to use them as we all know no. players go all over the place in your game you can always fit it in somewhere along the line no plot survives contact with the players no and then after that you're going to start fleshing out your, your, your non-player characters your NPCs the minor ones just some basic little names and things like that that might have a reoccurring like the bartender at the bar, you know, he maybe the players will use him. You never know more than once, and then you're gonna write down the BBGs, I like to call it, or the big bad guy, the main focus point of the the whole story. 
gonna write down maybe and write down a few famous characters from movies to, to help give you a personality like you think maybe uh, Captain Jack Sparrow for one of them that's yeah, kind of funny but you know maybe when you see that you'll jump right into character mode and be like ah, you know and like all that you know it gives you something to to hang the character on yourself yeah. you know even though you can't even if you can't do a Captain Jack Sparrow impersonation for example <clears throat> and there might be something in the portrayal of the character that allows you to return to so two weeks down the line or a month down the line you haven't forgotten what the NPC was like exactly uh, yeah now um a handy way to uh, to to get your ideas uh, in some kind of coherence um is to make just little lists um and you can uh, what I what I what I do is I make little lists of three. So I'll take, for example, uh, three locations. If the story takes place within the same city, write down three places that are going to crop up in the story. Um, you know, give them a lot of variance. Uh, three conflicts that might occur in the story. Uh, three NPCs that are going to crop up. Uh, three bits of background noise. Um, three plot revelations. Uh, those kind of things. Um, Add in, you know, three names for uh, men or three names for women that you might need to reference. Uh, three little puzzles, three strokes of fortune. Basically little elements that are, are going to occur in your adventures. Uh, and like Vin says, if you don't use them, then don't worry about it. But you can come back to it later. Um, you'll see these things referred to as troikas. Uh, and you basically you make up little groups of troikas on conflicts, locations, revelations, uh, plot twists, recurring threads, future story seeds. Uh, and if you, if you structure your lists in those ways, uh, you'll find that the ideas begin to, like I said before, they come together quite readily and you'll have something you can go back to for the adventure when you're actually starting to flesh it out and pluck the elements that you need out of these lists. Uh, or refer to them during play. If you suddenly realize you need a name, go back to your list of three names. Right, There's one I haven't used. Put that in right away. Also, uh, I, a big thing I've noticed is decide that if your characters are going to be in the city of Los Angeles, are you going to let them leave the city of Los Angeles? That's also a big factor in your story as well. Yeah, and you can you can address that with the players up front. Um, uh, Monty Cook ran a very famous D&D campaign in a city he devised called Tolos, which was released as a 700-page hardback. That's actually it's a fantastic book, but um, that's for another game system. But anyway, uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a city, a single city. And he said to his players right at the beginning... The campaign is going to take place in the city. Please don't leave. <laughs> and, you know, they went off to a couple of places around it. But for the most part, from levels 1 to 20-something, they were based within this one city and the dungeons beneath it. So, you know, don't, don't be afraid to lay your cards on the table and say to the players, I want to run a game set in Los Angeles, or this game is going to be set in urban Manchester, or it's going to be in Paris, or I will set it on the Isle of Wight. Um, and get the players to buy into that before character creation starts. Get them to buy into it as players. So when it comes to playing their characters, uh, they'll be in the mindset to stay in the location that you've all agreed on. Well, uh, if you have any questions, you can always email us, and we'll be happy to answer your storytelling advice. Uh, I think that's going to wrap up storytelling. Mark, did you have one more thing you wanted to go over for advice? Um, only to, uh, to, to turn to... Uh to the, the listeners and say, look, um, what specific elements are you interested in hearing for this? Uh, we've talked about the basics of preparing a game, uh, focusing more on, uh, on storytellers who are a little bit newer to the, uh, to the scene, but with a few tips and tricks that might be useful to the old hands. But if there are areas of a specific interest, send them our way. Now, to, uh, 
draw a loop back to the beginning of the show, um, the email from Dominic, where he was interested in figuring out how to tie different and disparate supernatural beings together into a cohesive party. Mm. That's one thing that we could uh, look at. Uh, maybe you want to hear more about how to run cinematic and exciting combats. Uh, maybe you're interested in how do I run a political intrigue game. Send us your suggestions and your questions, and uh, we'll see what we can build uh, to meet your desires. And as far as Dominic's question is concerned, uh, we'll put it up in the forums and let our listeners give us a, what their opinion of the answer would be, and then we'll give our answer on the next show. Yes, indeed. So it looks like that's going to wrap things up tonight, Mark. Uh, yes, looks like we're done with another one. That's another one in the bag. Whoosh. This is Vince from Mark saying good night, everybody. Good night, folks. <laughs>